It was quiet a minute ago. Just when you start recording. Then they start jackhammering outside. When will it end? The road work, the construction. If the country wasn't so far away, you know, I'd move out there. I think, I don't know. What would I do there? Just drive around all the time? Who would I talk to? I don't like nature. All right, scratch that. Hey, it's Jason Bryden. Welcome to the Bold Acting Podcast, episode 19 for Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. The kids are back at school. I just remembered that they'll be home anytime from school. It's been a great summer. It was really good. And it's really good to be back in the school routine of things. Summers are my favorite. And I've got about uh, 25 to 30 of them left, I think. I know I bang on about my mortality a lot. But I'm 51. So if all goes well, uh, statistically, I'll make it to 75 to 80. How many do you have left? Are you acting accordingly? With the right amount of urgency? Are you taking big risks? Are you batting for the fences? I think you should. I just think you should. Yeah, I think you should bat for the fences. And I think you should feel, feel that when you whiff that ball. You gotta kiss a lot of frogs. You gotta whiff a lot of balls. You gotta strike out a lot. It's not failure, it's just trying. We try, 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 and then we die. And you know, when we finally make that that big creative effort, when we make that thing, when we feel those juices flowing, when we collaborate, when we go for it, what do we feel? Unfortunately, it's rather anticlimactic. It's not a huge energy. It's not great joy. It's just a satisfaction in knowing we've made art, that we've fulfilled our potential, that uh, we've answered the call. Summers are my favorite. And fall, actually, in Ontario is incredible. Sweater weather, the leaves exploding in color. And you know what? I don't mind a a fresh snowfall in Ontario either. The polar vortexes and the ice storms, they can go straight to hell though, for sure. But a Canadian summer, is there anything better? In July, we went to West Vancouver, my hometown. West Van is a spectacularly exclusive municipality perched between the Pacific and the Coast Mountain Range. Only two ways out of West Van. The three-lane Lionsgate Bridge. Three lanes. Who makes a bridge that's three lanes? That takes you across the first Narrows and then through Stanley Park. And then the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge that takes you across the second Narrows of Vancouver Harbor and spits you out into the borderlands between the Republic of East Van and Burnaby North. West Van is a gated community protected by a lack of exits ocean, mountains, and outrageous property values. However, it is uncommonly beautiful on a sunny day. I keep telling my kids that. They, they, they visit Vancouver and they think, yeah, I want to live here one day. And, and I just say to them, experience November first. Experience November and February there. 
and tell me if you don't want to string yourself up by the shower curtain. Most days this summer out there, we hike up to, we hiked up to lakes on nearby mountains uh, that are ski hills in the winter and are transformed into mountain biking destinations in the summer. And the end of the hike must have a lake at it to swim in. And the water on top of those mountains is black. It's like the color of oversteep tea, so filled with rotting cedar underneath it. That's so peaty, so many tannins, and it feels like silk. It's unbelievable. You've got to check it out. Then after that, we come down the mountain, and we normally siesta, or we procure dinner ingredients, maybe a massage, maybe a pedicure, maybe some day drinking with the cousins, or some blackberry picking. Then at 4 p.m., we congregate at one of the nearby beaches for a swim. Always a swim at 4 o'clock every day with the same people for decades. A swim in the Pacific is a special kind of cold. I don't know if you've experienced it. It's a Canadian cold. It's unforgiving. It's consistent. And it is alarming. But once you're in, you're halfway to enjoyment. You just have to control your breathing and you got to shut your brain off. Which is exactly what you got to do when you're acting. Control your breathing and shut your brain off. Which is exactly what you do when you're taking a risk. Control your breathing and stop thinking about it. Which is exactly what you do when you go out on a limb. Control your breathing. Turn your brain off. Reach out there. You got to reach out further than normal. And you will find a hand. And that is the hand of God. Just float there. Float there in that saltiness and take that cold that is so bracing and any pesky hot genitals or itchy hot backs will be bitch slapped back to reality. You'll come out of the water eight hours younger, I promise. You gotta earn that cocktail hour somehow, right? I mean, by this time it's 4.45, 5 o'clock. It's time to hit the licky store on the way up the hill and start pouring those gins. I'm not into too much nature. That's why I live in Ontario, you know. I like starter nature. I like hills instead of mountains. I like deciduous trees with their part-time leaves instead of the oppressive evergreens that are always so green. But a month in West Vancouver ain't bad. Besides, I've only got 30 of these left. 30 summers. That's not much of a lease. You know, I could get a mortgage that would go longer than my lifespan. Ugh. My parents, how do they feel about being month to month? They're in their 80s. It's not worth thinking about. I'm still writing in the library. There are more strangers poking around my house again today seeing if they want to buy it. I hope they do. The woman across from me is picking wax out of her ear and looking at it before she flicks it on the ground. I've done this very same thing. I have earwax buildup, probably from many years of using Q-tips and not getting my ears cleaned. 
I don't know. I'm not an ear expert. And neither is the woman across from me. Otherwise, she'd be at work and not at a library like all these other underemployed losers and homeless people. Hey, that's me. I'm both. Huh. Let's talk about performance. Let's talk about the difference between private and public moments. I learned about this first from Denise Clark at One Yellow Rabbit in Calgary in the 90s. Your gaze determines your audience. You look at your scene partner and your audience are the voyeurs looking in on that experience. You and your scene partner are doing something. The audience is out there. They're watching you. You look off to an unseen horizon, like I wrote about in Tom Cruise is the King of Hollywood, issue number 20 of the Bold Acting Newsletter. And now you're asking your audience to look out there too. Now they're looking at you looking out to somewhere else. We know what that is. It's a private moment. Now we're thinking about something. We're remembering something. We're having emotional thing by ourselves. Or you look at the audience and you include them. Now you are addressing them, making them a character in the collective experience. You're talking directly to them. You're breaking the fourth wall. So those are the three. You engage with your scene partner. You turn. You engage with uh, the unseen horizon. It's an, it's an aside. You're thinking back. You're disengaged from your scene partner. Three, you're looking at your audience. The difference between public and private moments is just where you're looking. We're allowed to pick our ears in public, but not our noses. Somewhere along the line, we decided that mucus is disgusting and wax is okay. Does she feel comfortable enough with me here in front of her to pick at herself? Or is it just that she thinks that I can't see her or I'm not paying attention? Or is it because she just has to pick? Like there's sometimes where we just have to pick. I don't care who it is. I remember once, the first, there was a girlfriend... We met at rowing in my 30s, Vancouver Rowing Club. And I remember her, I remember talking to her for the first time. And I kind of fell for her because I saw her pick something off of her back and then she put it in her mouth. And I thought, uh, well, that's human of you. And also, maybe you're not paying attention, but maybe you just feel comfortable around me. These private moments that people have in front of us allows us to peer in by virtue of proximity. We're allowed to look. If they're going to do it in front of us, we're allowed to look. I can't say I mind this. If you see someone picking their nose in their car, what do you think about that? I'd say the car is their business, not yours. I'd say just because some of the walls, some of the structure is made of glass and you can see in, it means you're allowed to look, but you can't be disgusted by it because that's their car. They paid a lot of money for that. They should be able to do whatever they want inside there. Besides, you're stuck in traffic. Sometimes you got to mine for minerals. So if you find that gross, then that's on you. You should be minding your own business. Keep your eye on the road there, uh, Nosy Parker. How do the decisions you make within performance inform your style, the moves you make. 
In class recently, a student of the Bollywood tradition asked me why Hindi films incorporated an acting style that was so much bigger than Hollywood films. And at first I said, I don't know. I say I don't know a lot. I'm not a student of acting history as much as I should be. But it must be because the method latched onto the Hollywood New Wave cinema in the 50s and it is stuck. The method has informed everything thus far out here in the West and other places. But a style is just a preference that a group of people resonate with. You know, a style, somebody starts doing a certain thing and if enough people agree that that's cool, it becomes a style. A personal preference is what we like, you know? That's, I like that, I don't like that. I don't know why, I just don't. But what works, what works, what works, what I teach, the thing that works, the thing that reads true, that, that is universal, isn't it? The thing that rings true is universal. So these are the parameters that we can work with. Style depends on the group of people you're around. Maybe, a, maybe culture. Maybe culture and population. Personal preference is what you personally like. What works is the truth and is universal. Most people at this table in this library are old. And then I remember to a young person, I must look just like them with my white hair. The other day I was riding bikes out in the country with my kids and a man in his 70s, late 70s, rode up to us and as he passed, he said, out with the grandkids, are you? I blame his old eyes and not my white beard. A scene is a series of private moments we share with an audience. We do it because we can't all be lurking around ground floor apartment buildings, peeping through windows, waiting for that couple to start arguing, although we wish we could. Or having sex, or picking their ears, or... We want those private moments. We want to look in. We want to be the voyeur. Our performance works best when we leave the audience not knowing exactly what's going on. We got to leave room for them and their little imaginations. We don't want to have everything spoon-fed to us. Exposition is the death of happy befuddlement. I don't care who you are. You don't really like Marvel movies. You're better than that. They're so boring. They're so obvious. You know exactly what's going to happen. And those fight scenes just go on and on and on. And they never, they never, it never forwards the story. We want question marks. We don't want answers. Answers are boring. Answers are comfortable. We want to be sitting there going, what the hell just happened? A little bit. I love that. After some. Have you seen that movie? Go and see that movie. It is so good. And the performance is so good. But there's some things where you just think, I'm not sure what, what they're doing over there. But it's very moving. A woman in a movie just rushed in yelling, excuse me, excuse me, to the desk. With such urgency, I thought she was on fire. She wasn't. She wanted to know where the book sale was. And then not 15 seconds later, she came back to the desk, having found the exact children's book she wanted. She paid the $1 and then asked loudly, where's the washroom and a TD bank? In that order. 
There was no thought to that we were all in a library, a place that historically was a refuge from the noise outside. The noise is inside now. From the old man at the end of this shared table listening to his Jurassic Rock on his headphones so loud that I can tell which the Guess Who song it is. To the moo-moo on fire for cheap books, the washroom, and some light banking. The private has become public. Boundaries ain't what they used to be. I write about the most embarrassing stuff I can think of. My sister-in-law said this summer, it's strange knowing so much about you. I don't disagree. But with this honesty comes a sort of imperviousness. I find talking about my failings to be empowering. I'm scared less of what others think of me. I just want them to be able to count on me. I don't get embarrassed anymore. I have less hang-ups, I think, I hope. I can talk about stuff. And coming from uptight wasps that didn't talk about their feelings, this is a real step up. There's something in my family called not the Scottish way. You know, when we saw something, some effusiveness, some uh, emotions, some feelings, some honesty, we would say that's not the Scottish way. You got to be uptight. You got to be buttoned down. You got to be reserved. You got to be quiet. Hopefully my kids will benefit from my being more communicative. I don't know. You never know. Kids can resent their parents for a multitude of offenses. As a teacher, I don't know more stuff than anyone else, I don't think, so much as I have the temerity to to admit more stuff. I admit how I learned this lesson, and then I admit why I am the way I am, and then I admit I've got a long way to go. I do everything out in the open in the hopes that others may learn implicitly rather than having to go through it themselves. You know, why do we always have to reinvent the wheel? Can't we learn from others without all this work? Aren't there shortcuts? Sounds a bit idealistic, doesn't it? But you might as well aim for the stars. You probably won't make it. But you'll end up somewhere. And somewhere different is better than being in the same place. So we can switch between the public and the private, between the big and the small, between the Bollywood and the Hollywood. We can do it all. These are just more arrows we keep in our quiver. Our quiver is behind us. It's on our back. We don't focus on it. It's not strapped across our chest like a mighty sash or a fanny pack around our waist. We trust the quiver is there and that within there is ammunition. In other words, the things we learn don't reside in our brains so much as in our bodies. This isn't an excuse to think more. We don't write a bunch of shit on our scripts. We trust we have access to these tools when they are required. The very last thing we do is start thinking about things. I don't know about you, but being in my head has never got me anywhere. We practice, practice, practice every day, every day, every day. That's where we'll find the love for the craft. That's where we'll get rid of the preciousness. We try, 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 and then we die. Do it now. Do it quickly. Don't wait around for the time to be right. Or I just got to get this thing done. Or, you know, I just got to find this money. Or I, I'll, I'll figure out this. Take the class. Put on the play. Audition for the thing. Write the letter. Send the email. Action. Action. Action is the thing. 
Just do it. Don't think about it. I've got 25 to 30 good summers left. I'm putting another podcast out because I love it. Not because I have tens of thousands of listeners. So let me give you permission to go forth. Climb that mountain. Jump into that lake. Go down to the water's edge. Swim in the ocean. It's not warm. It's cold. It's filled with sharks. Who cares? Quit complaining. Get on with it. We got one go around. It's time for more urgency. Today on the podcast, advice from three seasoned vets of the industry. Andrew Deiters is a casting director here in Toronto at Ground Glass Studios. James Sully Sullivan is a filmmaker, an actor, and now in casting. And I think he's calling in from Halifax. Not 100% sure. But first, Ian James Corlett is a voice actor from L.A. Well, hello there, listeners of the Bold Acting Podcast, hosted by my friend JB. Uh, My name is Ian James Corlett. I am a voice actor. And uh, at the risk of sounding like Troy McClure, you may know me from such voices as the original English voice of Goku in Dragon Ball Z, Mega Man from the Mega Man series, Cheetor from Beast Wars Transformers, and as a writer-creator, I also created a couple of animated series that you Canadians might know, Being Ian. Uh, also, I co-created a show called Yvonne of the Yukon. Both of those were on YTV. Anyway, I've known Jason Bryden for a long time, and uh, he asked me to do one of these uh What would you say to your 20-year-old self uh, as uh, career advice? (sighs) Man, that's a good question. There's so many things I'd like to say. Um, Frankly, I was very lucky. So I would say be prepared to accept luck in your career. I think most people that launch into a career in the arts should have some level of talent. And then the luck thing comes into it. So... I was in the right place at the right time and then worked hard at, uh, you know, my craft. kind of hate using that term, but anyway, it is my craft. The other thing I think I would say is uh, don't be afraid to move. And I mean, like physically, to a larger center, a bigger town, uh, you know, a big city in Canada. Because, frankly, I think my career would have been even bigger <laughs> if that's even possible. <laughs> If I had been able or willing to move to Los Angeles, yes, yes, dirty words to Canadians. It's like you're being disloyal. Reminds me of a David Steinberg interview with the cast, part of the cast of SCTV in the early 80s about moving to America and how that feels disloyal. But frankly, I think I would have um, I would have had a much bigger career had I made that move. But I don't regret it. So there's my other advice. Do not regret the decisions you make, but rather embrace them, uh, learn from them, work with it. It all forms part of your your character. So um, the other advice I would give – now, I took this advice. So is it really advice that I would give to my 20-year-old self? It's advice that I'm going to 
give my 20-year-old self to other 20-year-old. Uh, this That doesn't make any sense. <sighs> Look after your money. Pay your taxes. And when you get that big project that nets you, you know, maybe a four, five, or even six-figure paycheck, maybe more, don't go, hey, 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 I'm a rich guy. No, sock it away. Sock it away. So, um, I don't know. Is there anything unique to that advice? Probably not. Oh, and one more thing, uh, and this is in line with uh, a lot of what JB says. Uh, take classes. Take classes. And don't think that anyone's got all the answers. Look at it like a toolbox. You go take some classes. You go, hey, there's some tools I can put in my toolbox. No, you might never use that dog leg reamer or tooth chisel, but you've got it if you need it. Okay, that's enough from me. Over to you, JB. Dog leg reamers. If I had a nickel. God, such good advice. Luck for one thing. Be prepared to take it, but also know that the only way you'll ever get lucky is through endurance. You've got to endure, and that really is the word. It's not just persevering, it's not just pushing, it's also weathering. You've got to weather. <laughs> and those that stick around are going to get luckier than those that bail. Move to a bigger center. Ian lives in LA now, but he's right. He stuck around in Vancouver because... It was very good for him. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being a big fish in a small pond. But like the song says, move to New York while you're young enough and you have the energy and then have the temerity to get out. What else did he say? Store your nuts for winter. So important. When you get that, look, you've been practicing being broke for a long time. Then when you start working, all of a sudden... You're someone with money who's also bad with money. Be good with money first. That's why I'm starting a personal finance course for actors in January 2024, if not earlier, at Bold Studios. Because, man, I went to university for four years and learned about the history of Canadian theater, which has really served me well. But I didn't learn a thing about how to pay your taxes, how to save money. You gotta sock it away. If you can save a hundred bucks a month in your 20s and keep doing that until you're 60, with an initial investment of a to grand total of $48,000, you will have over $500,000. Just thanks to compound interest. Just thanks to interest rates the way they're going. I mean, now the sky's the limit, it seems. So, save your money. Don't go out a lot. Don't buy a bunch of stuff just because you have money. And remember, 30% of that money, isn't that, is that not the base tax rate in Canada, is owned to the government. And above all, paid your HST first. That's not your money. I learned that the hard way. They will come knocking at your front door. And finally, take classes. You don't have to take acting classes. You don't have to take my class. You just got to take classes. You have to remain a student. The biggest thing that remaining a student does is that it keeps you away from dogma, which is the conflation of facts with your beliefs. When we start practicing one way, we quickly become an expert at that thing and we will espouse it to any and all that are in within earshot. This is called a closed mind because things change, people change. And if we're not ready to change our opinions on things, 
Uh, we quickly become obsolete, irrelevant. Our intel is old. A great way to stay uh, flexible, a great way to maintain a growth mindset is by uh, taking classes. I have a dinosaur within me and I work very hard to keep him at bay. Mostly because I don't want my kids to resent me and to make fun of me. That's my, that's my, uh, my inspiration. It probably won't work, but I ain't going down without a fight. Hey, Jason, you asked me to send you some uh, advice to my younger self. So here goes. Uh, my name is Andrew Deiters. I'm a casting director in Toronto, working primarily in commercials, and I'm the owner of Ground Glass Casting. Um, so here's some stuff that I think would have helped me looking back, especially when I started my business uh, almost 10 years ago when I was 37. Um, don't compare yourself to others. That's a big one. Uh, when I started my company, I was constantly um, looking at my competitors' work, um, seeing what they were up to and being incredibly envious, spending a lot of time wondering why I wasn't doing what they were doing. And uh, that's, that's bad. That's bad energy. So stop that. Um, next, uh, don't be so hard on yourself. Um, so that's another one I, I think that speaks to the first point. Um, I was constantly setting uh, goals and, and targets and, and, you know, things to work towards. And some of them were really unrealistic. And I was, I was hard on myself as a result. Which, uh, which made me more anxious um, and just not feeling good. Um, and lastly, so speaking to that, that anxious, that anxiety that I have, um, stay in shape, healthy body, healthy mind. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm an emotional eater. <laughs> and uh, um, I think that when I'm really stressed, uh, my, my, my physical health suffers. And then as a result of that, my mental health suffers. So take the time that you need to stay in shape and that will benefit your career, your family life, your friendships, everything. It will bring you a better, uh, state of mind and well-being. All right, that's it. I'm going to go eat a bag of chips now. Bye-bye. <laughs> I love chips. I'm an emotional eater, too. I'm an emotional drinker. Nothing feels better than if you're stressed out or, or thirsty, or if it's just Tuesday at 4 o'clock, than a very wet gin martini. I did that yesterday after sp speaking to my family. Anyway... I should be exercising though. I mean, I exercise every day, but when you get stressed out, like, why don't, I should just drop and give me 20 or 30. It's just so, such a relief and it's so, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to sound too super soul Sunday, but it's, it's powerful when people sit, admit stuff, you know, like I'm an emotional eater. For some reason, the human ego keeps telling, keeps saying that we're the only ones. And we're never the only ones. We're all totally average. So everybody else is going through the same shit. So why are we embarrassed about it, you know? I would like to add something that to, to what Andrew said about goals. 
goals have to be attainable. And I didn't know this. I thought the bigger the goal, the better. I, th I thought ambition played a part there. Ambition should be dashed across the rocks, as far as I'm concerned. Goals have to be attainable. They have to be small. Otherwise, they will just deflate. So, um, for instance, I put goals in my to-do list every morning as I'm drinking coffee. I write stuff down and uh, these are my goals for the day. And they are tiny. It's like, clean this, go get that, make the bed, make the cookies. All I'm going for is a sense of accomplishment. I don't know if this is the answer to all of your worries as far as building stuff. There's plenty of evidence that I might have more questions than solutions. But for me, I need to build up confidence every day. I need to build up strength every day. And by making goals bite-sized, I can look back at the, at the end of the day, I can look back and say, I accomplished a lot today. And that is way more helpful than making goals that rely on other people or industries or groups um, for them to come fruition. If your goals also rely on things you can't control, then those goals will be that much harder to meet. Hey, Jason Sully here. And uh, hey, hey guys. Um, I think the advice that I would give to my younger self is that, um, you know, as an actor, you go to school, you go and you train, you go and you play the game of getting an agent headshots and stuff like that. But you don't have to play the game that they want you to play, that what is traditionally played. By that, I mean, you know, make your own product. Work with actors who have some skills in, in making films and make your own film and and really figure out the sort of system of writing and producing and shooting and editing and acting in your own films to be a part of your marketing of yourself to create your own product and everything else will fall into place uh, if you're waiting to get that big uh, project that big show that's like man if I don't get this I'm not going to be able to pay my rent um, I think those days are kind of done you, you really have to make your own product and really be progressive in that. Sully is a man after my own heart. Obviously, I bang on about making stuff. Making stuff is the new making it. There's no more making it. Perhaps there never was making it in Hollywood or making it wherever you are or becoming this. Or There's just too many variables at play. The thing you can control, of course, is the stuff you create. The stuff is art. You are an artist. We must make stuff. There is no such thing as an actor waiting by the phone anymore and calling that a career. You got to be a writer. You got to be a filmmaker. You got to shoot. You got to edit. You got to podcast. You got to do the stuff. Even if you don't like that stuff, you got to do it. Or you got to find people to collaborate with. The more you do it, the more you'll love it. Remember, life is the Stockholm Syndrome. You make it. Choose your captors wisely. And if you screw up and choose the wrong ones, change your mind. Choose new ones. There's captors all over the place. 
but you got to make stuff these days. I mean, it behooves you to take advantage of, first of all, the gate, the change in the way gatekeepers are. You know, they're quickly becoming the tech giants. The gatekeepers will always be there to push you down, to put their thumb on the scales. It doesn't matter. It's just more adversity. We are in a golden age of adversity these days, which is a good thing. Art comes from adversity. It doesn't come from comfort. So make art. Now is the time. I want to thank all of uh, the pros that called in and sent me that great advice. And I want to thank the listeners. Thank you so much for your five-star reviews. Just just press the five stars. You don't have to write anything. You just got to press the five stars. Do it now. Look, scroll down. Look, see? Go to show. Scroll down a few episodes right there. Five stars. Do it. Just push your little thumb on there and send me some love. For more information, go to boldacting.com. There's lots of new classes there you can sign up for. If you would like to sign up to my newsletter, go to boldacting.substack.com. It's a free weekly newsletter with more of my strong opinions on performance and making art. You can also watch a lot of very pointed videos on performance technique on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Jason Bryden. Hit me up on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Jason Bryden of Canada or send me an email, jasonbryden at gmail.com. I would love to hear what you think. I would love to hear your questions. If you want a question of yours about the industry uh, answered here on the podcast, send it to that same email, jasonbryden at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week.